This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. God has much to say about government and the impact that Christians should have upon it. God calls us to participate by rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Specifically, God gives the authority to rule. Romans 13.1 says there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by him. Matthew 22 says we are made in God's image, which flies in the face of the secular view that only those who can contribute have value. It follows then that government would serve the common good of individuals, not special interest groups, lobbying organizations, or powerful donors. Jesus spoke often of the kingdom requirement for service. Anyone who wishes to become great must first become a servant, hence the common use of the term public servant to refer to elected officials. Acting in obedience to the scriptures, we are to elect rulers who first desire to be public servants. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Cohen spoke on his own behalf to the judge, saying he's ultimately responsible for his acts, but not solely responsible. He did say it was his weakness and blind loyalty to Donald Trump that will land him behind bars for facilitating questionable Russian business deals and dishing out hush money. In court, Michael Cohen said he worked in coordination with and at the direction of Mr. Trump for the principal purpose of influencing the election. That's why he made the payments. And that kind of testimony could potentially be very damaging to the president. It's interesting that these uh, allegations against the president are coming from his own Justice Department. This is not about Robert Mueller. This is about the Justice Department. The reason this came up when he was running for president was because this is a good time to shake him down for money. Yeah, this was their timing, not his. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. We have a jam-packed show for you. We're going to be talking about the attributes of God. We are also going to be digging into whether or not paying someone a hush money payment is a campaign finance violation. We also have Daniel Krauthammer. He's the author of The Point of It All, A Lifetime of Great Loves and Endeavors. He happens to be the son of the late, great Charles Krauthammer. We're going to have him on in the next segment. And then, of course, we're going to listen to a bit of audio about from Ann Coulter about the Mueller investigation. She makes some points that no one else in the media is making. And there's a huge problem with the way this is all being framed, which is people are acting as if, and obviously it's morally repugnant to have affairs and then pay people off so they won't talk about it. When people have extramarital affairs, it opens them up to just these types of situations. That's why it can be something that you get your security clearance revoked for. It, when you're on active duty in the military or if you work for the federal government and you hold a high security clearance, one of the ways that you can get it revoked is by having an extramarital affair because it opens you up to blackmail. But if it's a problem for President Trump to make hush money payments, then I guess it's a problem for hundreds of members of Congress who've also done the same thing during their campaigns and while they've been in office because they don't want people to know what's been going on with them privately. So we'll dig into that as well. Uh, at Stacy on the Right on Twitter and Instagram, StacyOnTheRight.com, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and of course, American Family Radio's site is AFR.net. Those are the places where you can go, subscribe, hit the like button on Facebook, follow on Twitter, hit us up, keep us in your front view, not the rear view, the front view, so we can uh, give you all of our content. So I got to say, 
one of the things that's been really encouraging me this week has been this A to Z list of the attributes of God. And sometimes in the busyness of everything that's going on with every, I mean, I, I can't even, we don't even have a whole show's worth of, a, of time for me to go into all the different things that I have going on right now from having my phone hacked to, uh, you know, the ongoing saga with one of our appliances. It's been a really eventful kind of breakneck pace kind of few days. But as some things are wrapping up, and I'm so grateful to God that they are, so that I can move on into a little bit of a, a time of peace, it is wonderful to turn away from all of that busyness and all of that stress and there's some anxiety and all of that. Whenever you have anything going on, it just creates a lot of churn and emotional, um, you know, it, it, it gets everything worked up. And a place of peace and rest can be in thinking and pondering on who God is and what his attributes are. And so we went into it a little bit yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about Alpha and Omega, Ancient of Days, Comforter, Creator, Eternal. Today, I want to get into faithful. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God and the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Father, and and. This is his attribute as our father, just one of his attributes as our father. One John 3, 7 says, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are good. God is good. This might have been the first Bible verse that a lot of people learn as a child. And it's a good one. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And that's Psalm 119, 68. God is gracious. He's gracious to us. He's full of grace and mercies. Mercies are new every morning. He says, the, the Bible says in Isaiah 30, 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. Healer, he is our healer, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. And you can find that in Isaiah 53, 5. So we're going to continue to go through um, the attributes of God. We're going to keep working our way through. We're also going to keep wearing the, the headbands for the 25 days of headbands. And today I have on, these are the weirdest ones I own, I think. They're two little snowman heads and they're like antennas. And so if you want to see these, obviously, first thing you have to do is you have to go to one of the live streams and then you can see the uh, totally weird, totally awesome headband extravaganza that is going on for Stacy on the right. I also want to point to if you're interested in finding out more about the live streams and you go to Facebook or one of our other sites, um, you can see the graphics done by my producer, my executive producer, Darren. Right now we have reindeer and he has little um, lights in his antlers and he looks so cute and he's a part of the Christmas extravaganza. <laughs> yeah, that is Stacy on the right on American Family Radio. So let's dig into this. Um, it's former FEC Commissioner Hans von Spakovsky and he has been on the program numerous times before. He's a fellow with the Heritage Foundation. He writes a lot of their white papers. He does some of their deep research, but he's most important for me as a consumer of the things that he puts out, as someone who is an expert that we can call on to come on the program and discuss issues. But this time we don't have to have him come on the show because he did a special video presentation that is up over at the Daily Caller. And he did this because there's, there's a lot of misinformation going on out there. Like this is an opportunistic type of a time in our nation where 
instead of saying exactly what the president has done wrong or what laws he's violated, we instead just say he's guilty. He must be guilty because people are getting indicted. Cohen's going to jail. We're getting closer to indicting President Trump. Democrats are now openly fantasizing about the president serving jail time after he's the president. People are talking about a constitutional crisis if he's indicted. My question is, what would he be indicted for? I mean, I'm willing to listen, but please be specific. What specific law has the president broken? What has he done wrong? Tell me that. Tell me, you know, let's let's have chapter and verse or, you know, whatever, whatever the name of the statute is. And and it's, you know, attendant little X's and letters and, and parentheses. Let's have all that. And then I can read that law and then I can look at what evidence exists out in the known world and make a decision for myself. I'm just not going to emotionally submit myself to a roller coaster of, well, he's guilty of what? Just say what he's guilty of and then we can go forward or zip it. That's that, you know, just sorry, not sorry, zip your pie hole. I don't want to hear that he's going to be impeached or he's going to be indicted or he's going to be sent to prison. Like we are not in some tin pot dictatorship where anyone can be sent to prison just because other people don't like them. Cause if that's the case, we know Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, and probably Monica Lewinsky, they'd all be in jail. Cause if it's just about not liking somebody who would be left, who would be left, who has lived a life where no one disliked them. So we all know the answer to that. So you've got former FEC commissioner, among other things, Han von Spakovsky. He says Trump did not violate campaign finance laws. And this is a fantastic explanation. It's number five. Michael Cohen just pleaded guilty to a supposed campaign finance violation. Many are claiming this poses uh, problems for the, the president. Uh, but the problem for the U.S. Attorney's Office is hush money payments to mistresses are not considered a campaign related expense. And if it were, there are many, many members of Congress who are in potential trouble because according to uh, reports last year, at least $17 million in taxpayer funds have been used to pay off harassment claims against members of Congress. Hi, I'm Hans von Spakovsky. I'm a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, but I also spent two years as a commissioner at the Federal Election Commission. That's the federal agency responsible for enforcing the Federal Election Campaign Act, which regulates uh, how uh, candidates for federal office raise and spend money. The supposed campaign finance violation that the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in New York is claiming uh, is actually not a violation of campaign finance laws. Here's why. Uh, in order for the rules to apply, it has to be a campaign-related expense. It has to be a campaign-related expense. <laughs> so you'd have to be able to convince a jury or a judge presiding over a case such as this one that this is being done exclusively to influence a campaign instead of the hush money payments being made to prevent, let's say, a wife or a daughter or grandchildren or someone of that nature from finding out the Ill, Ill deeds that have been going on. Now, he says... In this next audio bet, if Trump is guilty, so are hundreds of other elected officials. And he makes a great point here. 
And this is a can of worms that neither Democrats nor Republicans want open because are, are you not just like me still waiting for the list of people who had to make payments through the slush fund created by Bill Clinton for these are congressional members who had sexual harassment claims levied against them and the, they, the people were paid off and moved to dev, different agencies. Some of them were paid off and they left service, you know, and on campaigns or in government. These people still work in, in Congress. They're still there. And they have participated in getting money from this slush fund. Now, when we first got wind of this whole ridiculously fraught operation, I was one of the people out there yelling at the top of my little old lungs that we need a list of who made payments. I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, Tea Party caucus folks. I don't care if they wear American flags on all their breakfast cups and their coffee cups and their bowls and they have American flag sheets and they've been waving the flag since they were a baby. I don't care. I want to know who's on the list. And Democrat or Republican, they should all be put to the test of daylight. And guess what? We haven't seen that list. So here he is explaining how this is just a no-go, it's a non-starter, and how all this discussion about some kind of indictment, it just doesn't make any sense. It's number six. The Justice Department only once before has tried to claim that these kind of payments are a campaign-related expense. That's when they attempted to prosecute John Edwards. Remember that case? Uh, Contributors to John Edwards actually paid money to his mistress, uh, who actually was working for the campaign and had his child. Uh, A jury did not believe these were campaign-related expenses, and in fact, John Edwards had two former commissioners of the FEC there to testify these were not campaign-related expenses. In fact, when the FEC audited his campaign, the agency itself concluded these were not campaign-related expenses. So this really uh, is not a problem for the president, even though Michael Cohen is pleading guilty to this, because the U.S. Attorney's Office is basically being over-aggressive on this issue. If you take their views to its extreme, it would mean that any time a candidate uh, pays off a a legal claim against it, that's a campaign-related expense. Well, if that's the case, Remember, in 2017, it was reported that members of Congress have paid over $17 million to pay off almost 300 claims made against those members of Congress for sexual harassment and other claims like that. 300 claims? Now you see what we're talking about here, right? So... Obviously, the president is in no danger if the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels and others are the only thing they have on him. There's no danger there. But I mean, don't take it from me. Take it from a Heritage Foundation fellow and expert extraordinaire. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Hey, Stephen McDowell has been a personal friend of mine for a couple of decades now. He is one of the best historians I know. He is president of the Providence Foundation, and no one documents early American history, especially the Christian aspect of early American history, better than my friend Stephen McDowell. He is going with us on our spiritual heritage tours, and he'll be talking all along the way and answering questions. 
and you're going to enjoy spending time with him if you're able to go with us in June or September. Again, we're going to Washington, D.C. and Mount Vernon, and we're also going on a separate trip to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. So if you'd like to go on either one of these or both of them, contact us at spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I once heard the story of a man who divorced his wife to marry another woman. He said he did it because God told him to. When he was reminded about what the scriptures say about the marriage covenant, he simply shrugged his shoulders and said, what can I say? The Spirit told me to do this. Well, a spirit may have told him to do that, but it sure wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will never, ever tell us to do anything that violates the Word of God. I want to say that again. The Spirit of God will never, ever tell us to do anything that violates the Word of God. Listen to John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Notice how the Spirit of God supports and empowers truth in this text. If you want direction for your life, don't rely on your feelings or impulses. That's dangerous. No, we must always go to the Word of God. Line up your choices and decisions based upon what the Scriptures have to say then make sure you're relying on the Spirit of God to help you to do not what you feel like doing, but what is right and what you ought to do. Here's what I want you to remember today. Satan, an angel of light, majors in deception. Check your subjective impulses and desires with the objective Word of God. The Spirit of God will empower you to do what is in line with the truth. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Uh, it has been often on this show that we have heard audio clips from Charles Krauthammer when he would be contributing on Fox News and other times when he would uh, occasionally do interviews on other outlets, I would have audio of him speaking and we would play it on this program. And to me, he was one of the greatest thinkers of our time and he has contributed in so many ways to the public discussion and understanding of not just politics, but living life as a human being, as an American and as uh, trying to strive to be a person of, of high, a high level of integrity. I didn't always agree with Charles Krauthammer, but I always found him to be astute and really at the very tip of the spear when it came to leading thought and encouraging debate and discussion on a very intelligent level, getting away from the emotionality of things and really getting down to brass tacks about the issue itself regardless of ideology or viewpoint or where you're coming from specifically in your own personal, uh, you know, where, where your, your socioeconomics, et cetera. And so it was really exciting for me when I saw earlier this week that we had our next guest booked into the show to talk about the final work for Charles Krauthammer, um, 
warning, I've listened to many of Charles Krauthammer's columns on uh, audio. He, if you go to the library, you can find audiobooks that are compilations of his columns. And for someone who wrote for as many decades as he did, the topics spanned every area of life, not just politics. Some of the best columns I've heard of his read in his own voice have been about things that have nothing to do with politics, but are so enlightening and so instructive in living well. And so it's with great pleasure that I welcome our next guest. We are going to be speaking to his son, Daniel Krauthammer. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate being here. So let's talk about this. It's, it's a book that is a compilation of his works, his writing, and it's called The Point of It All, A Lifetime of Great Loves and Endeavors. And it, the issue date here on, uh, on Amazon, it says December 4th, 2018. And you're the editor of this work. So how did this come about? Yeah, so as you said, it's a compilation of columns, essays, speeches, and quite a few uh, never-before-published uh, entries. And this was something that my father was working on for quite some time before his health crisis struck last year. And uh, most of what's in the book now was all put together by him, chosen by him, uh, placed by him there. And of course, it's all written by him in the book. Uh, and when he was ill last year, I was by his side in the hospital the whole time and helped him continue to work on it bit by bit. And uh, that's when I became involved and got to know where he was going, understood his thoughts and his wishes for the book. And when he received uh, the final news and knew that he wouldn't be able to finish the book himself, he entrusted it to me to finish for him. And so all these past months, that's been the number one priority in my life to get this done, uh, to get this book done well and up to the incredibly high standards that he set. And incredibly high standards is very apt representation of what we were able to really, it was like a treat getting to read his columns, getting to hear his thoughts on different issues, spanning all topics, not just politics. And so the title is the point of it all. Can you talk about why he chose that to be the title of the book? Yeah. So as you could guess, it's not exactly a narrow topic when you uh, call it the point of it all. And, uh, that title, he actually hadn't chosen the title uh, before he passed. So that title was actually my mother's idea. And she was actually the one who thought up the title for his last book as well. So she has a, a very good track record on this. But as soon as she said it, uh, I knew she knew, uh, all the, the publishers, the whole editing team knew that uh, this was the right way to go. And as I explained in the introduction, which I wrote to the book, I think it does uh, sum up so well what the book is about. Uh, and it's difficult because, as you said, he wrote on so many different topics. And this book is very representative of his work. It spans all the way from what you'd expect in politics, of foreign and domestic, big questions of world history, the nature of democracy, his political philosophy and views on limited government, and then all the way across to uh, the fun passions he had in life of baseball, movies, chess, space exploration, and most especially in this book and, and uniquely to his personal life, to what family meant to him, his friendships, relationships, his career, and what gave purpose to his life. And really, I think his philosophy binds all these things together in a way that's very unique for something that has such a breadth. And really, I think uh, the point of it all for him, when he viewed the point of it for all of us, was to pursue our own purpose, our own meaning, chart our own destinies in life. And that's really the, 
the blessing we have living in a society, in the country, in the democracy we do, that we have that freedom of choice. But it also brings with it a responsibility to uphold that successful politics that we have to keep democracy uh, and freedom and liberty alive so that we can maintain that choice to really find our own meaning. And uh, that seemingly paradoxical combination is really the whole point of my father's life, was to find his own personal things that meant something just to him, but also professionally to do what he could uh, to advance our politics and maintain that system and that liberty for all of us. So let's talk a little bit about Charles Krauthammer personally, because you're his son and you can offer some insight to us that we maybe haven't been able to get watching him over the decades on Fox News and, and other news outlets. And he's been, you know, commenting on so many different issues. You mentioned um, the, the range of subject matter. And he was clearly, he, it wasn't that he just thought deeply about politics or just concerned himself only with political matters to write about or to think about or to discuss, but that he really was interested in the way that people lived. And he had a deep admiration and fascination with the American life and how varied it could be. Can you talk to us a little bit about his thinking there and, and what he delves into in the book in, in that arena? Yeah, sure. I think two things uh, strike me in, in thinking about your question, and uh, particularly in the idea of his appreciation of America and the American people. There's uh, quite a few pieces in the book that, that really express that in a beautiful way, I think. There's maybe my favorite piece in the book. Uh, it's called Constitutions, Conservatism, and the Genius of the Founders. It really gets into his views on American politics, limited government, and, and American exceptionalism. And towards the end, he gets to a, a passage that brings a smile to my face every time where he, he talks about his, his something approaching even faith in a sense of providence in American history. And as he puts it, uh, that there's something about American history, about the bedrock decency of the American people that always finds its way, redeems itself, and inspires all of us. And it's something that was so true to his core, combined his personal beliefs, his political beliefs, and sometimes when I'm doubtful and worried and, and, uh, and feeling gloomy about our future, it actually gives me hope and brings a smile to my face. And I think on a, on a personal level, uh, that, that sense of love for America and um, Americans also was expressed in, in a lot of the more fun and personal uh, pieces in the book. That he, and this is something I don't think viewers would have seen as much on TV, that really he really had kind of a childlike love of uh, just kind of uh, silly, fun American things. Uh, you know, going to the ball games, he took me ever since I was a kid, and he, you know, he would start chewing his gum immediately. He'd load up on hot dogs, and he was just happy as a camper. Or when he was a kid growing up in the summers in Long Beach, New York, he just lived on the boardwalk. And uh, he loved whenever we'd go on road trips, stopping in small towns and just kind of uh, soaking up um, just really what was out there and not, uh, not looking for the finer things in life, so to speak, but, but really enjoying the simple things in life. And I think that all comes out very fully across the book. So that's the part that to me is the most fun because uh, so most people who do political commentary, not just on Fox, but all over the place are interesting in their personal lives beyond what you see of them, you know, that those three minute hits or six minutes on, on, you know, whatever station they're on. So that's not in and of itself 
quite as unique as, you know, most people are interesting and have something that they're that they're passionate about. But when you talk about, you know, kind of a childlike enjoyment of certain uh, exploits or admiration for the American people, those two things are a bit more, those are specific, those are unique. And they're also... They're, they're, they take a little bit of stretching to picture Charles Krauthammer, who is a very serious person, <laughs> you know, to, to kind of picture yeah. him in that way. But we know yeah. it's the truth because we're, we're sitting here speaking to his son, you know, so we're getting insider views. Um, do you have any other anecdotal tales about, uh, you know, the, the more fun side of Charles Krauthammer? Um, well, I, I did mention chewing gum briefly, but I would say I, I don't think I ever saw him smile more than if you put him in front of a giant gumball machine. That was kind of his, his favorite thing. But uh, maybe another thing that strikes me is movies. He was a huge movie buff, and that's I am too, actually, and that's something we always bonded over since I was a little kid. And uh, we'd go out to movies all the time, and one of our, our favorite traditions is actually on Christmas Day, we would have a father-son movie day, and he would... Uh, pick out a whole bunch of movies, 10, 12, uh, and I was little, so he was kind of teaching me the, the canon of the great movies, and he'd pick out old ones and the kind of classics you're supposed to know, and we would just lock ourselves in the TV room and watch movies morning till night. Oh, and uh, so I think he, he also memorized the lines from all his favorite movies, and that's something he lived off of as well. So I think that kind of vicarious uh, loving enjoyment and immersion is something that, that really was part of him. Wow. I, so I'm sitting here a little in shock because we are, we're those people too, where we have movie marathons and we um, oh, enjoy yeah. doing that yeah. with our kids. And we do, one of our favorite things is to, you, you've already memorized some of the lines from your favorite movies. And then when it's appropriate, when it totally works out, instead of replying to someone as you would be expected to, you <laughs> reply with that movie line. And it really keeps us yeah. laughing and keeps things lighthearted at our house. So I, I definitely understand that passion. It's a very American thing to like to watch movies and to incorporate, yeah. you know, those those scripts into your everyday life. Um, so turning to yeah. the... And he the, not only did it in, in conversation, he actually slipped them into columns all the time over the years. And there's quite a few in the book, actually. If you look, there's some lines from Casablanca and Lawrence of Arabia and some of his other favorites. So <laughs> I'm going to be looking for those. Oh, the, that's yeah. fantastic. So, uh, so if, if you had to characterize the book, because I, I, I have a lot of people on, I have a lot of guests come on the show, and they, they all have books, like everybody's written a book. Yeah. And I'm, I'm personally very excited about this, getting this and kind of tucking into it when I'm off for Christmas, because I was able to interview the son of the late Justice Antonin Scalia about the compilation right. of speeches that he'd, he'd put together for his father. And I tell you what, it's, it is fascinating to read, first of all, the different groups that he spoke to, and second of all, the wide range of yeah. subjects that he covered. And so I've been reading some of those speeches, like I take a few at a time, instead of trying to read through the whole book, I just flip through and yeah. pick one and read it. And I've learned so much, not really specifically about him, but about the subject matter. And so if you had to characterize the book for someone who's maybe thinking, okay, Stacy's got a, an author on, it's, you know, another book and she's all excited, but you know, what, what will be meaningful for me in this book? What would you say to that listener? Yeah, well, it, it's funny you mentioned uh, Justice Scalia's book. I recently read it as well. And I agree. It's a fascinating book covering a similarly large range of topics and really speaks to people who have interest in different areas. And I think as well with, with my father's book, The Point of It All, there's so much in it that the, the thing I would most want people 
to know is I really do think there's something that will be meaningful for literally everyone. Um, that there's, you know, obviously, if you're interested in politics, there's a lot in there for that. But I have so many friends who have, uh, over the years, spoken to me about how much they love reading my dad's stuff on baseball or on dogs or just about society in general and how we interact with each other. And I think more than anything in this book, one of the, the strengths that I made a very conscious decision to to put in here, and it's it's a very rare thing to see in my father's writing because he didn't do it much, but is how he talked about himself and his own life, his own life's journey, his career, and how he approached life and his philosophy on it. And that's something that obviously as his son has influenced me completely my whole life and in a very total way. But especially these last months, I've come to realize how much that's touched other people and the number of people friends, acquaintances, but more than anything, his viewers and readers and people who never met him in person have come to me and told me how touched they were or how reading his words and, and reading about his life helped them get through a difficult part of their life, inspired them, gave them guidance. I think really for anyone who's interested in thinking deeply about ideas and about life and kind of feeling an awe and reverence and, uh, and gratefulness for what life is, um, there's just a lot in this book that I think will be uh, solace for the soul and and just really enriching. And that's what I hope more than anything uh, that people will get from this book. Mm, perfect, perfect summation. Thank you. I So I, I want to first of all say thanks for the work. It, it had to have been kind of cathartic doing this after his passing. And I was... So just, I, it was such a devastating announcement to hear that he would not be able to recover and to have this book to kind of, you know, work through and um, enjoy afterwards is a real treat. And I'm so appreciative that you were able to do it and that you're bringing us this opportunity to experience more of what was Charles Krauthammer and, and the contribution that he made to us all as Americans and as a society of people who I hope still think deeply about ideas. Um, thank you for your time today on the show and for editing the book and bringing it to us. And I encourage listeners to uh, follow the link. I'm going to put the link in the live streams and you can get uh, get it in two-day shipping on Amazon. So easy. It'll be at your doorstep like post haste. And then you can start tucking into it. That's yeah. my plan. And then I'm going to leave it out because I think at least one of my kids will be interested in reading some of the speeches. I'm going to dog the pages <laughs> and see what I can do. Um, but th thank you, Daniel, for your time today and for editing this book. No, thank you, Stacey. I really appreciate it. And if I could add just one thing uh, for your listeners, if they want to learn more about the book, um, they can go to my dad's uh, official website, which is charlescrowdhammer.com. And that actually has a whole lot of other resources about his life, uh, his career, archives of his work, uh, tributes written to him, as well as all the information on, on how to buy the book and where. So, Perfect. Um, and for anyone who's interested, charlescrowdhammer.com is a charlescrowdhammer.com alright thank you so much Daniel have a nice holiday break we'll be back with more right after this this is just a minute with Stacey Washington God has much to say about government and the impact that Christians should have upon it God calls us to participate by rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's specifically God gives the authority to rule. Romans 13.1 says there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by him. 
Matthew 22 says we are made in God's image, which flies in the face of the secular view that only those who can contribute have value. It follows then that government would serve the common good of individuals, not special interest groups, lobbying organizations, or powerful donors. Jesus spoke often of the kingdom requirement for service. Anyone who wishes to become great must first become a servant, hence the common use of the term public servant to refer to elected officials. Acting in obedience to the scriptures, we are to elect rulers who first desire to be public servants. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. There's a particular reason why there is a Back to God radio show. It was about four years ago, God called me out of the pulpit and said, Dexter, I need you to go tell my people it's time for them to get back to God, back to my morals, back to my values. This is the thing that you're supposed to do simply because you belong to the most high God. It's the least that you can do for a God that loves you the way that he does. Time to get back to God. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Hey, want to go shopping later? Yeah, sure. Where do you want to go? Oh, we can go to JCPenney's, Belk, Target. Whoa, wait. I was with you until you said Target. What's wrong with Target? What's wrong with Target? You mean besides the fact that they have an open-door policy that lets men into women's restrooms, that Target? Wait, what? Exactly. As a matter of fact, before we go, grab your laptop, go to afa.net, and sign the pledge to boycott Target. Okay, I'm on it. Securing America. The outgoing chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee is warning about threats from great power competition, including China and Russia, as he works to convince the White House not to cut the Defense Department's budget in 2020. We might struggle to win or perhaps lose a war against China or Russia. And we're talking about now. And this is no time to waste. We don't have any time to waste. We've got to restore America's military advantage. If we fail to do so, the cost will be measured, be measured in American lives. In a speech at the National Defense University, Senator James Inhofe said China and Russia are doing things better than U.S. defense forces, saying, quote, When I look and I see some of the equipment they have compared to ours, you know, they have been busy, echoing comments made by other defense hawks. The Trump administration has warned the Pentagon to expect a budget of $700 billion for fiscal year 2020. That's $33 billion less than planned. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I listened to two hours of it. I had no idea what crime they were talking about. They just keep saying, um, well, the president of the United States is implicated in two felonies, two felonies, two serious felonies, felonies. Um, he can be he can be indicted. He'll be indicted. Of course, it's impeachable. It's a high crime and misdemeanor. He'll be indicted as soon as he's out of office. It's very, very serious trying to throw the election. You had no idea what the, what the underlying alleged offense was, which goes right back to Coulter Rule. Um, they'll give you the details when the details help them. When the details don't help them, you will never get the details. And I defy you. In fact, I had to do a Nexus search on that to see if we can actually get down to them talking about Michael Cohen paying off the Playboy Bunny and the porn star a pretty paltry amount of money um, to not be blathering about this. During a presidential campaign, okay, two crucial elements of this, I mean, almost all campaign finance violations are stupid, and the worst thing that happens is you have to pay a fine. So you know who that was, is Ann Coulter, talking about 
the ridiculousness of this whole Mueller investigation and the Democrats constant, you know, crying and whining and, and crowing about the guilt of the president. We know nothing. We don't know what he's guilty of. We have no idea what any of this is about, except that it works to the favor of the Democrats in their messaging arm in the media to make the president look bad. But it's not really hurting his approval rating. He's still got a 49% approval rating, which is the same amount of people who approved to President Obama at this point in his presidency. So it's not really working, is it? Now, if you have Trump derangement syndrome, this works for you. Hearing these things like impeachment, jail time, that just floats your boat. But for the rest of us, it's doing nothing. So she wraps it up with a couple more salient points. And then we're, what we're going to do is we're going to go to calls. And then I have this story about this woman who's threatened with a fine about inviting people to come to her house to have a free Christmas dinner. And she's a single mom of two. And she and two friends cook this dinner for what used to be just she would just invite four people. If you're having Christmas alone, you're welcome. But it has ballooned out into this amazing event. And some old Grinchy Scrooge types are threatening to find her in her neighborhood just for telling people that if you're alone at Christmas and you want to have dinner with friends, come with us because your friends are here. We, we want you. We welcome you. Don't be alone. So first, let's listen to Ann Coulter. We'll take calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Um, and then we'll also talk about that story. This is number two. Barack had to pay an, a huge fine for violating the campaign finance laws. You and I and, and people who believe in the First Amendment, of course, think all of these campaign finance laws are unconstitutional. You can spend money on speech, and this is core First Amendment speech. In any event, um, for this particular campaign finance violation, there are two crucial requirements. Number one, you have to know it was a campaign finance violation. For three years, I mean, not only is it partially true, but liberals have been telling us Trump is an idiot, knows nothing, whatever his IQ is, he does know nothing about politics. That much is manifest. He's a reality TV star. He's, he's a developer. He trademarks his name. He's, he's the apprentice guy. So she's describing President Trump as we have described him so many times before. Have we not? Have we not said that he's an unconventional type of individual to occupy the White House? He's, he's not your average, typical, everyday, you know, he's the president type of a guy. And that is what people like. You know, every time I meet what I call run-of-the-mill Trump supporters, meaning they don't live in big cities and they're not, they, they've traveled a ways to, you know, because I've been to a few of these events, only one rally, but a few of these events where the president has spoken. And what you hear them say, because I invariably end up talking to the people that I'm standing next to or sitting next to, and what they all say is, oh, he's just like so-and-so that I know. He's just like my dad. He's, he's like my brother-in-law. He's like my brother. They'll say he's like my boss at work. What they're talking about is not, not that their boss at work or their brother or their dad is a billionaire or you know married to a, a former supermodel. No, they're talking about the, the plain speaking, you know, the kind of he has a bit of a hair trigger temper and he gets mad and he, you know, they're talking about the realism of, of Donald Trump. And it's just like when Obama supporters really liked Barack Obama because he was such a polished, you know, professorial type of a man. And that was something that Americans aren't used to seeing from someone who has the permanent tan and that he was representative of an ideal 
regardless of his policies, that's what people on the left saw. And so many people who disagreed with Barack Obama on X, Y, or Z, they liked you know, some of what he was about, but some of the policies they clearly disagreed with, but they liked the idea of him a lot. They, in fact, they almost worshiped the idea of him. And so it's the same kind of thing that's the idea of Obama that really repulsed a lot of people opposing him, not because he was professorial or, or any of that, but because he was someone who wanted to radically change America and not in a direction that those people wanted to see, including myself. And that is what repulsed me from him because I didn't want him to radically change America. It's the same thing about Donald Trump wanting to go to Washington, D.C. and clean it up. And people who oppose that, they like the mess. They like the proletariat. They like the two system, the one set of laws and rules and prosecution for, for the upper people, the people in charge, the ones who are in Washington, D.C., and another set of rules and regulations for the rest of us. They like, even though they're always crying about inequality in 15 an hour, they like the fact that people in Congress go in worth, you know, $200,000 and come out worth $70 million, that they, get, they seem to get rich overnight just breathing the air in Washington, D.C. as an elected official. All of a sudden, you're just wealthy beyond all means. They're fine with that. They're not okay with people who run businesses and have built things from the ground up having a lot of money, but they're perfectly fine with, you know, uh, some know-nothing. Because, you know, a lot of these congressional types, and it's, I'm not trying to be insulting, but it's real, real talk for real times. Straight, plain speaking, not trying to be insulting, but the truth sometimes hurts. People who are not very accomplished, but they're really good at campaigning, and they've gotten themselves sent to Congress. Not all of these people are impressive people, these congressmen. That's no insult to the ones who are, but it's the truth about the ones who aren't. Yet all of them tend to come out much more wealthy than they went in. And all of them seem to like to make it a really, it's a career long, like a lifelong pursuit where they're just, they're hanging 10. They're in there for the duration. They don't want to come out of that job unless their toes are up. They are not there to serve us. They're there to enrich themselves. That's not all of them, but it's enough of them that it's such a problem that it needs cleaning up. And that's why it takes a guy who's independently wealthy, who doesn't really care about the size of the White House or the limo or the helicopters because he has nicer things already. It takes someone like that to go in and clean it up. So pivoting over to this story, I couldn't believe this when I saw it today. Um, and I'm not someone who is against neighborhoods having, you know, you can't staple stuff to the the po- lamp post. You can't do this. I get all of that. Some people like their neighborhood to look as clean and orderly as the interior of their home. And if you choose to move into a neighborhood like that, then you're buying into that kind of ethos. Hey, this is, these are, these are the rules, but this is a totally different situation. You've got this lady and she has this flyer that she's printed out on a larger size piece of paper and she's got little holes already poked in it. It's been laminated so it can withstand the, the elements. And she puts it on the actual telephone poles so she's not damaging private property and it's a nice neighborhood because you can see a kind of a stone wall behind her and so her name is Mo Feos she's of Nottingham and she's doing this dinner so it's a free Christmas dinner she fundraises for it during the year so that the people who come to the dinner don't have to pay that's the first thing 
Second of all, the only reason she has to fundraise for it is obviously to buy the food, but also because it used to be just four people who would come to her home, but it has grown. So now she has to actually rent two halls to be able to hold it. She's a mental health nurse, and she's been hosting these Christmas dinners for vulnerable and lonely people for the past three years. She would have four or five guests in her home, but it's now so popular that she hires out the two halls to accommodate more than 100 people, and she's still doing the cooking. It's her and two other people who do the cooking for 100 people. She does a team of volunteers and herself. They cook a three-course dinner, and it has crackers for appetizer and decorations for the tables. She spends the year raising around $3,756 U.S. dollars to buy the food. And when I say it's in Nottingham, I'm not kidding. It's Nottingham, England. So she has a little email. What, what she does is to reserve your seat at the table, you can email or telephone. There's a website, communitycaresclub.org. And she's putting out the flyers as she does every year to say, come and eat with us. Well, this year when she put up her posters, she received a community, a visit from a community protection officer who said, get these signs down immediately. So she took them down, but she she was upset because she says the posters are really important. If people aren't on social media, they won't know that I'm having the free Christmas dinner and they'll eat by themselves. They'll sit at home alone and they won't have anyone to eat Christmas dinner with. And that's something she just can't, she can't stand that. She said the email said she was breaking the law, but she just wanted to help people who were alone at Christmas. And it's the first time out of the three years she's done this previously that they ever sent her an email. She put the flyers up in November. They emailed her on December 4th. Here's what the email said. We know what you are doing is good, but it is classed as fly posting, flyer posting, which is a problem. Therefore, I would ask you to take it down. Otherwise, you'll be fined. She said it broke her down emotionally that they would do this, that they would send her this. She'd put the posters all over, so she had to go around and get them all. She put it online, um, but obviously that doesn't reach the elderly people who aren't online. She's separated from her husband, lives with her 19-year-old daughter, Ebby, and their 15-year-old son, Jebediah. And, you know, the reason she started doing this, and it's really, it's heartbreaking, but this is the reason why she started doing this dinner. She said she works on the mental health ward because she's a nurse, and she was doing some training with an individual and and asked him how he was going to celebrate Christmas. And he said, I don't celebrate Christmas because I don't have anybody to celebrate it with. And so it's not worth it for me to cook or celebrate or put a tree up or do anything because I'm alone. And it's just not worth it for me to celebrate it by myself. And she said, oh, my goodness, you have to celebrate Christmas and you do need someone to celebrate it with. You can come to my home for dinner. And so he was the first one. And then she thought, you know, he can't be the only one. So she just put out a general email saying, if you know anybody who's going to be alone on Christmas day, tell them they can come to my house for dinner. And she had like, you know, the first time five people, but after people got wind of what she was doing and the food she served and how much fun they were having, it swelled up. And now it's like a hundred people every time. In fact, in 2016, she had 130 people say they were coming and that's when she moved it to a community center. And every year, it's been more and more people. She's saying this year, she hopes people saw the poster before she was forced to take it down because she doesn't want anybody to miss out. 
and she hopes that everyone enjoys eating and celebrating together. And in the images online, and I, I don't think I've got this up at the Facebook page, but I'll definitely post the link. Um, in the images, you can see that she's got little, they're, they're the kind of metal chairs, but she's got the padded slipcover on them and little drapings around the back. And there's Merry Christmas banners up all over the room. And you can see the, the group is a mixed group, some older people, some younger people, and they're all sitting there together. They're not family. They don't know each other, but they're sitting there together eating a Christmas meal on a decorated table so they're not alone. It's so absolutely stunning that anyone would try to put a stop to something like this. It just goes to show you how depraved and wicked the human heart is that you would hear that people who are lonely and mentally unstable, some of them, who really need other people to be around, the opportunity for them to have one dinner with someone else that someone would say, well, you can do that, but you can't put up signs about it because that violates the rules. Instead of saying, we really need to help this lady spread the word because suicide is actually increased around the holidays because of what the man told her a few years ago. People feel hopeless if they don't have anyone to celebrate with. So God bless this woman for doing this, for meeting a need that, I mean, it's desperation. Loneliness is crushing. And these people are responding to her offer. They're not even coming in picky. You know how we can be. Yes, I'll come, but I have a few food, you know, requirements. You know how we can be. But these people are just so glad to be around others. And it's a wide range, young people, elderly people, people who find themselves in tough financial straits. They're showing up because they just want to have a meal together with people and enjoy the company of other human beings. Since the story went viral, the council has decided not to take any action and said it was a genuine misunderstanding. It's a really worthy cause and it's been a genuine misunderstanding. That's what they're saying now because some sunlight got shined on their little dirty hearts and now they're ashamed and with good reason. Amazing story. I'm so glad she's doing it. All right. That's the show. We'll be back with more after these messages from onenewsnow.com. God bless you from the heartland. 